Welcome to the second episode of Talking Swords. I almost said Yo Jim Bros because uh, <laughs> Sean, I I was asking him uh, for some su- for some suggestions on names uh, for a second podcast. I think that's how you came up with it, Yo Jim Bros. I think we actually mentioned it on last episode of this. I think I briefly I mentioned that it should did. have been called Yo Jim Bros. <laughs> I yeah. think we did, um, <laughs> but today we are talking about. Akira Kurosawa's 1961 uh, classic, Yojimbo, and its sequel, Sanjuro. And then I will be briefly talking about the roles later down the road uh, that Mifune that played, uh, where he basically just channels that same character. Um, but before we get started, what have you been watching, bud? Um, I've had a pretty good week, actually. Uh, not to Kung Fu centric, but I got the Eureka release of Dreadnought and uh, Knockabout in. You lucky uh, bastard! Mine comes tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Eureka sent that out pretty quickly, so uh, I was happy to get that. And I watched them both, and they were not as I remembered them. Actually, Dreadnought is a very strange film. <laughs> yeah, I I watched Dreadnought maybe five years ago. Maybe. Yeah. I, well, I want to say longer because I watched it before I was married, and we just celebrated five years. Uh, so probably early twenties. And I remember it being really weird. Like they couldn't figure out the tone that they wanted to go for. Absolutely. It's, it's half comedy, half, I don't even know what the other half is. There's like Jalo elements in it. There's like dark serial killer stuff in it. And then yeah. of course there's the action <laughs> at the end, but the, the final 20 minutes is worth the price alone. Uh, not that the rest of the film is bad. It, it's not a bad film at all. Um, it's just a pretty unusual one. Even though Yun Wu Ping is known for his strange films, um, usually when he goes when he goes super weird, it usually makes sense. You, you watch the Miracle Fighters and you're like, okay, this is a super strange film. But Dreadnought kind of walks that thin line between weird and serious. Great film. Really enjoyed it. And uh, Knockabout, I forgot how much of a kind of wacky comedy that is to start with. Um, and it's fine. You know, I enjoyed the comedy. It was absolutely fine. But that last, you know, that last half where the fights kick in, some of Yoon Biao's best work, I think. Just absolutely insane. Uh, that final fight is bonkers. I, I love it. Uh, really happy to have them. Great films. How do you, uh, so you were talking about Yoon Wu Ping when you were talking about Dreadnought. How do you rank him overall? As a director or choreographer? Uh, as I would say as a director, because everyone knows him for you know his work with The Matrix, Kill Bill, yep. Crouching Tiger. But I find that he has such like when he's making a film and he's you know directing it, uh, even his newer stuff like the Crouching Tiger sequel, I genuinely enjoy. Yeah, what I typically say, and this is going to sound weird, but he may not make the greatest kung fu films of all time. But I do think he's the greatest Kung Fu director of all time. And that's because he keeps up with the ages. He's done this for years and years and years from the classic old school stuff of like Drunken Tai Chi. Then he did the uh, the 90s stuff, you know, Iron Monkey. And then he even did like 80s kickboxing style stuff within the line of duty. And now he's doing, you know, or he did True Legend. He's done, uh, and now Master Z, you know, he's just, he stayed consistent he's definitely had some hiccups along the way, but he's been such a consistent director. And I think very few people can do it as good as he can. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe he was working with Shaw uh, on some early stuff before he eventually went to like golden harvest and branched out. Um, 
but he's just he's so he's he's just so good. And I think and I don't think people realize, you know, the second Matrix movie, he helped choreograph that entire fight mm-hmm. sequence where it's uh it's in the uh Merovingian's uh castle. Yeah. And uh they do the weapons-based fighting. It's very, you know, people on wires and then they transition into that crazy chase sequence. It's and so good. pretty much every Hollywood movie after the Matrix Reloaded came out copied that to a T. Even the Marvel films are doing that now. Yeah. Still. Just and people don't even give the Matrix sequel or the first sequel the credit. That fight sequence on the staircase is like just a landmark fight scene. You know, I know people talk about uh, the um, the dojo fight with Lawrence Fishburne and Keanu Reeves, but that fight scene in the second one is just phenomenal. It's so original and just so visually appealing. Um, and then, of course, that chase sequence after that is, is just amazing. But, uh, yeah, Yuma Ping, he's just stayed relevant. And he's he's consistently reinvented himself to just be this at the forefront of action filmmaking. And, you know, some people don't like Master Z. I fucking love it. I think it's fantastic. I watched it again recently. Um, but, you know, hopefully he's got another film in him. You know, he's getting a I, bit, bit on in years. I, I do like Master Z, but it came out at the time where I was just like, it man just i was <laughs> yeah. like i'm so tired of it i was getting yeah. fatigued yeah. it's just bombarding you i so i mean not to start a whole other conversation but mm-hmm. what's your favorite it man movie besides the donnie Yen films so i ranked all the it man films recently um uh i watched them all like literally about three weeks ago i watched them all in one week and uh, aside from the donnie yen ones I would honestly say I think Master Z is my favorite. I used to think it was It Man: The Legend Is Born, um, the the like prequel film, and I used to basically the way I used to do it is uh, It Man: The Legend Is Born, then It Man: The Final Fight, then uh, then um, uh, Master Z, and that's completely switched around. It Man: The Final Fight. It's not nearly as good as I remember. It's actually not that enjoyable. I mean, The Grandmaster would be my favorite. The Grandmaster is my favorite Yip Man film entirely. It's better than all the Donnie Yen films. Um, but uh, yeah, Master Z's up there now. I, that final fight, it's its a great performance by Anthony Wong, but it doesn't hold up. I, uh, I would say I like all of the uh, Donnie Yen movies except for three and four. Um, yeah, interesting. Uh, yeah, like also the the is it four with Tyson or is that three? That's three. That's just such a weird. That's just a weird scene to see Iron Mike Tyson. I tell you uh, what, though, he does a pretty good job with the choreography he's given. Surprisingly, Mike Tyson does a good job, or, or his stunt double does. I don't know Tyson's. I mean, Tyson just had a fight last year. I think um, he's still in pretty good shape for Mike Tyson. Had, he had a fight on a plane the other day. <laughs> Did you hear that story? Yeah, <laughs> that guy deserved that it. Guy. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it's crazy. Off, why are you gonna Why are you gonna bother one of the baddest men on the planet? Exactly. Like, what, why are you gonna fuck with him? You're You're just asking for an ass whooping. People are dumb. And uh, I mean, Tyson probably pulled back those punches a little bit. Oh, 100 percent, because he could kill a man, he could <laughs> kill a rhino. <laughs> so besides uh, the besides Dreadnought and Knockabout, have you watched anything? 
Um, not really. I've been kind of stockpiling movies. I've been buying a lot, but I haven't been watching them. Um, I just bought that uh, Taiwanese ultra gory zombie film the sadness it's phenomenal dude yeah i haven't had a chance to see it yet but i've heard very very good things so it's far. really depressing yeah. it's, that's that is the <laughs> that 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 is the perfect title for that movie it's one of those movies where i don't like i don't really like watching depressing shit mm-hmm, yeah. and uh when and i went into that just for the gore i was like okay cool it's gonna be a super gory movie but there's like this oppressive atmosphere Oh, okay. That, that just saturates the film, and it's just—it's so depressing. Uh, it might be uh, a type of thing I like. I, I kind of like dark and sad films. I'm—I'm I'm a bit like. I have that. to be in the right mindset. Yeah, but yeah. you know, but I, uh, but yeah, it's a really good movie. Um, I should watch. Surprise was not more hype here. Yeah, it, it gets it comes out on Blu-ray um, in the U.S. like next week, and it's it's been a very quiet release. No one's really talking about it, um, but. Hopefully it blows up at some point uh, because, you know, Train to Busan did massive and that's, you know, a zombie film that isn't very gory. And I would assume that this one would do much better because people typically like violent zombie films. Um, but yeah, hopefully I'll watch that this weekend. I just bought the uh, Beverly Hills Cop trilogy. I bought Donnie Darko. <laughs> I've just been picking up weird films. Oh, I tell you what I, I've just done. Um, I picked up uh, a Hitchcock collection in 4K. Um, my my mission for the rest of the year is to go back and delve into more classic cinema. So anything before the 1970s, I'm I'm completely ignorant of. Like I I don't know anything about. In fact, I'd even go as far as to say prior to the 80s. So I'm going back. I, I want to watch some Hitchcock. Some I watched um. How to Marry a Millionaire the other day with uh, Marilyn Monroe. So I'm trying to go back and watch, and obviously these samurai films also help. So yeah, trying to trying to go back and watch some old stuff. Have you watched anything of interest? I um, I found a list of it's a near complete list of every spaghetti western ever made. Nice. Um, and uh, oh boy, it's like 500 and something films. Um, I had already seen 30 percent of the list. Because I have ah, a pretty, yeah, I have a, a pretty, chunk. yeah, I have a pretty uh, extensive spaghetti western collection, uh, but I'm going through. I just finished all the pre fistful of dollars, which ties into our topic tonight because mm-hmm. uh, uh, that was a remake of Yo Jimbo. I watched all the movies pre fistful of dollars, which is about 14 movies. Yeah, um, most of them are bad. Most of them are absolutely terrible. Um, a lot of them are comedies, but it's like weird Italian humor. And I'm oh. kind of used to it because my my grandparents are immigrants from Sicily. And when they moved here, they got a big satellite dish installed in their yard and they actually get all the Italian channels. OK. Uh, yeah. So I grew up watching the stuff. The humor is slightly perverted. It's like perverted slapstick comedy. OK. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that stuff is very much like just slapstick three stooges style comedy the very Mm -hmm. first spaghetti western is a comedy and the only scene i enjoyed is uh there's a shootout but the good guys have like these steel pans and they are playing tennis with the bullets that the bad guys are shooting at them hey that sounds funny that sounds legitimately funny it was that's the only part that made me laugh and then the rest (laughs) of it was like please somebody shoot me with a bullet because this is awful um and then i but there are two that are very good um one of them is called uh, show, uh, Gun Down at something can Red Cannon or something. It was just an action-packed movie. And then hmm. the one I finished today, right before the podcast, 
was part of a two picture deal. So the studio was going to pay for all the costumes, the sets, all the stuff for picture A. Uh, and then the lesser budgeted movie, picture B, would just reuse the same sets. Okay, uh, yeah. The first movie ended up being a failure, but the second movie ended up being a fistful of dollars. Oh, wow. Which ended, okay. <laughs> yeah, which ended up changing uh, Italian filmmaking forever, uh, Westerns forever, um, which is just really funny because uh, it was a super low budget film. Yes. Um, and it and it's incredible. You don't like that movie, do you? I did not. In fact, Fistful of Dollars, I didn't make it all the way through. It's wow. it's the good, the bad, and the ugly that I really didn't like. You wow. Yeah, I, I don't know why I found it. I found it too long, and I I I might have not just been in the right headspace, but yeah, for some odd reason, I just didn't enjoy that much. Which is really strange because I'm watching these samurai films now, and they have the same kind of tone to them. Obviously, yep. some of the westerns are direct, pretty much a remake, but they have the same tone and but i i like it much more in samurai movies uh westerns just i'll watch you know modern westerns i'm i'm great with but uh old-timey westerns like spaghetti westerns i just i don't know i just can't get into them so you haven't seen django i started watching it last week um and unfortunately i, I didn't finish it not because uh not because i didn't like it uh just because i basically got called into a meeting and work and forgot to go back to it uh but i did start watching it because that was also the second film that ripped off of Yo Jimbo. Yes. Uh, which, weirdly enough, both of those films, Fistful of Dollars and Django, both came out in 66. Uh, oh, okay. Like, maybe four or five months apart from each other. Uh, and when doing research on Yo Jimbo, there's diff- there are conflicting um, uh, things saying that Django came first and then Fistful of Dollars. And then there's mm-hmm. some people that say Fistful of Dollars came first and then Django. But... They came out months apart uh, in 1966. Both of them um, ripped off of Yo Jimbo, which we'll get into. Uh, Will from uh, Hong Kong Center Appreciation Society uh, wanted us to talk about because Kira Kurosawa apparently took inspiration from Daniel Hammett, who is an American crime author. Okay. Uh, specifically, the the book red harvest it's almost not a one-for-one adaptation but he took a lot of inspiration from that book um i haven't read them i didn't even hear about that until will brought it up um i don't think we're gonna be talking about that too much because yojimbo i think is such a singular um experience um but yeah, yeah. do you want to go ahead and get into it yeah absolutely let's let's jump into yojimbo um yeah, I mean, as a as a newcomer to Yojimbo, I watched it. So I watched it a number of weeks ago, probably probably about a month and a half ago, two months ago. Because we now. were supposed to do this show months ago. Yes, yes, we were. Yeah, <laughs> a little behind the scenes peek. Yes. So I was getting ready for it. I picked up the uh, the Criterion uh, like double pack of uh, Yojimbo and Sanjuro, and I sat down to this, and I honestly didn't know what to expect because obviously I'm not the biggest fan of Seven Samurai. Although I do feel like I need to go back and watch it. You got to go back and watch yeah, it. Yeah, I do feel like I need to. Um, eventually, eventually we will cover Seven Samurai. Oh, but yeah, absolutely. I, I wanted the first real episode to be Akira Kurosawa because yes. it's such an important influence. But then, I, I, you know, like the next episode, uh, when we announce it um, at the end of the show, mm-hmm. uh, is a movie that did get an official release, but it's 
more unknown and I kind of want to stay within that path. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, long story short, basically, I, I sat through your Jimbo, and the entire time, I from from the very first scene to the very last scene, in my head, I was just like, yeah, I get it. I get why people like this. It, it just, it works perfectly. It, it As a film, it just hit me in all the good places, and it, yeah, it just works. It's such a... It's such an excellent little pocket of a film. There's no beginning to it. There is no beginning because you don't know who he is. You don't know what he, where he's come from, what he's doing. He's just this wandering Ronin. And at the end of the film, you don't know where he's going. He's just wandering. And it's this brilliant just little pocket of a film where he comes in and he goes out. And what happens in that pocket is just incredible. It's uh, I hats off to, to Kurosawa. It is fantastic storytelling in such a small environment. It doesn't go many places. It's fantastic storytelling, and I I love it. I I think I gave it five stars on Letterbox if I remember correctly. And um, yeah, just uh, is it uh, Mifune? Is that how you say his name? Yep, uh, Toshiro Mifune. Just outstanding. Um, what a stud too. Just, oh, 100%. The, the guy, he's a raggedy samurai type, and I'd, I'd let him creep into my bed. Yeah. he's. Uh... <laughs> what I like about him is that his character, he's kind of douchey, oh. but he's like, but he's very charming. Like, yes. he has a, he's just, like, he's just very suave, very smooth. Uh, but what I like is that the whole film, both of them, both Yojimbo and Sanjuro, have this mm-hmm. very, like, relaxed nature to it. Like, the movie starts. And he just picks up a stick at a fork in a road, yeah. throws it up, and it's just brilliant. goes wherever it lands. Yeah. And that's what we get. Like, that's the journey. Uh, uh, but before we dive too uh, into the story, uh, some little details. Yo, Jimbo came out in 1961. Uh, it grossed $2.5 million uh, at the box office, which was the fourth highest Japanese film in that year. Wow. And adjusted for inflation. That's $122 million. Nice. So it, it did, did It did bucks. extremely well. And then it also, I think, made a roughly the same amount overseas. So okay. uh, it made a pretty good chunk. Um, some, uh, some, some, one tip before we dive in, one, not one tip, but one detail I want to talk about is that uh, Kurosawa told Mifune that he wants him to move like a wolf because he's like a lone wolf gotcha. in the film. So like when you see him do like the like shoulder shrug stuff and mm-hmm. all that, uh, Mifune was watching like not like not like not like wolf documentaries, but like nature videos and learning how wolves walk, and he mimics that in these films. Yeah, there's that great uh, juxtaposition between him being this like. Uh, he's, he's not decent looking, you know, his clothes are a bit raggedy and he's, you know, he walks in essentially off the street and he's, I guess you could call him a vagabond, but there is something about his mannerisms that he is, he's got a lot, like a lot of swag to him. He's smooth and the juxtaposition between those two things, like it gives the character this interesting complexity that just, it makes for a very interesting watch just watching him do what he does apart from just the plot of the actual film and what happens in the film just watching him is very interesting and like and like the way he moves also is that he is you can see that he carries himself in a way that he is confident but oh yeah but not like 
because he's a master swordsman in this film. And I think he catches people off guard with how good he is with a sword. Yes. Uh, because you see this guy, he's smiling. He's kind of gruff looking. He, you know, he's a vagabond looking guy. And then when you challenge him to a sword fight, he slices you down instantly mm-hmm. uh, without much of a sweat at all. Um, and the way he plays both sides in this film is just, it's one of the best parts in the entire movie where uh, he, you know, one family hires him to do something. And then he's like, well, they could probably pay double. Oh, yeah. And then just kind of sits up in that little, that like little, uh, was like that like little tower and just watches uh, these people almost <laughs> go into a brawl with each other. Yeah. And it leaves a question to be asked. And I wondered what your opinion was on this. Cause I, I'm, I'm on the fence. I don't know. So the question is, what is Sanjuro's, what's the point of what he's doing? Is he doing it just to get the money and just to get some coin in his pocket? Or is he genuinely interested in cleaning up this town and, you know, getting the the, the bad, quote unquote bad guys out of the town? For me, I think it's just the coin. I don't think, think he, I don't think he really cares because again, he like the very start of the film, he just throws a stick up and goes that and goes that way. Right. He could have went right instead of left, but he goes left and he stumbles upon this town. I don't think he truly cares. Um, and I think that's evident by like the fact like when he's asked, like he doesn't give his real name. No, he's very like he. Uh, what's he say? He's a mulberry tree. Yes, yes. Uh, which. In both films, he doesn't give his name. He no. said, I think in Sanjuro, he says he's a Camilla Bush or a Camilla. That's right. Yeah. Uh, which uh, is funny because both of those plants, um, in uh, doing research, both those plants play an important role in the movie. Like that town is known for its silk and known for its dyes oh, and stuff. Yeah. And the mulberry tree is what you use to feed silkworms. And then. In the second movie, uh, the Camilla bush is used to make tea. So uh, it's I think that's interesting because at the very start of the movie, the people are you know saying like when is the uh, when is the uh, silk festival happening? Yes. And then later on in the movie, he names himself after the tree that is important to that entire industry. So I don't think he necessarily truly cares about those people because mm-hmm. uh, he's in it for the coin. But also, those people don't truly care about him. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. Yes, they are. He could be anyone. Um, They're just using him for their own, you know, devices. I think he would have cared more about them if he didn't overhear them saying, hey, we're going to kill him. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, I think I and I what I love about that whole scene. I mean, that's probably one of the only dated parts of that movie is that like it's almost comical how dated that scene is where he goes over. There's a group of women watching him yeah. and he's just like, Shh, don't say anything. Um, but other than that, I think the movie holds up extremely well. Oh, 100%. In absolutely. Absolutely. It's um, what got me in, in some scenes is the direction. I mean, the, the camera movements, um, the wide shots at the beginning when he walks into the town and it just looks like a complete ghost town. And Beautiful. it's a huge wide shot. And he's just like very small in the background walking in. Stunning. Absolutely stunning. And um, yeah, I, I think I think the film definitely holds up. Uh, anyone could watch this. And well, I'd like to think anyone could watch this and appreciate it. It's it's fantastic. I think um, me and, me and uh, my friend... Ryan, which you're friends with too. We, uh, mm-hmm. me and Ryan, do a stream on Tuesdays. Uh, 
we talk about how good black and white films look in 4K. Yes. And I would kill for this movie to be in 4K because some of those wide shots, uh, like you said, when he's walking in the town, yeah, are just beautiful and stunning. And I would love to see it in a 4K. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an obvious choice for a 4K release, and hopefully we do get one. Um, I would, I'd also, I'd scoop that up right away. Now, did you recognize the other big star in this film? No, I can't say I did. I I, I know the the bad guy from Yojimbo, essentially the bad guy from Sanjuro. That's all I know. Yeah, Tatsuo yeah. uh, Tatsuo Nakadai. Yes, um, he is he is incredible. Um, he's one of my favorite actors uh, of all time. Yeah. Um, but man, Mifune and him, when I think of samurai movies, it's those two, those two guys. And uh, having both of them on screen in two films is just perfect. Um, Sanjuro was actually, so, you know, Jim, it was supposed to be standalone, just supposed to be a standalone movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sanjuro was originally an adaptation of uh, Shiguro uh, Yamamoto's novel, He Behind. Uh, but after the massive success of Yojimbo, uh, Akira Kurosawa changed it and included Yojimbo in the film. Gotcha. Okay, that just because of how popular he was, they decided to put him in a in a yeah. in the film. Yeah, I mean, I can I can see I can see back in the day someone watching this and just falling in love with the character. He, you know, he is just this, yeah, truly truly unique character, and it's just. It's just a great story. I, I just love how simple it is. And I think I, I watched um I watched a tiny bit of a documentary on Kurosawa. I didn't watch it all. Um, but he literally says Kurosawa's quote was a truly good movie is easy to understand. And I think he just he knows that and he doesn't make it complicated. And it could be uh, with someone else's uh, someone else behind the camera of this. It could get so complex. There's so many characters. There's two different sides. There's you know all these different people coming and going and kidnapping this person and kidnapping that person. And it could get so complicated. And it doesn't. It's it's such a smooth film. Uh, so well made. Um, and also what I think makes the film both films so stand out is that a lot of times in these samurai movies uh, to you know to save we just make uniform costumes almost every single person in this movie has a unique look to them yes um, has a like you know like all the all the like bad quote unquote bad guys uh, there's one that's a giant um, there's yeah, you know yeah. some of them have scars on their face some of them are you know I have different uh, color kimonos on, um, which usually in these movies back in that time period, the same thing with spaghetti westerns is that a lot of the bad guys just all look the same. But when you have those wide shots of the town, you can pick out individual people based yes. on what they're wearing. Um, the other thing I really loved is when he rolls in the town and he just goes to that place to that guy's restaurant, <laughs> and the guy just starts giving him the details on everybody he's like that guy sucks that person sucks um and also uh what i love what i don't know if i love this but what i like is that there is some humor to there's actually a lot of humor oh definitely definitely uh but the was it the bad guy's nephew uh is kind of mentally handicapped yes um the way I don't know it is it because it, it's the same way in like uh Hong Kong cinema, they like they make them look exactly the same. They have like the bushy eyebrows, they're yeah. kind of fat, yeah. uh, the buck teeth. 
that look is offensive and probably outdated in 2022. But every time I see it, I can't help but just laugh my ass off uh, yeah. at how comically, <laughs> like, how comically, just how comic, just how funny it looks. And also, just imagine that person just walking around and being a badass, <laughs> just yeah. thinking these hot shit. Yeah, it's not the most subtle thing in the world, but it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting how things you wouldn't get away with today just work back then and sometimes they're you know they're still funny um like even like you said he goes he goes to um you know essentially the the restaurant or is it an innkeeper or restaurant is it just a restaurant that he goes to at the beginning i think it was a restaurant because it seems pretty small there's like a few tables um he doesn't ask for a room or anything and the guy was he just asked for uh was it rice that's right and rice and water i think and uh and the guy's like, hey, I know that you can't pay. Um, yes, yeah, which is great. Uh, uh, but yeah, uh, what's your favorite What's your favorite scene in that movie? In Yojimbo. Um, in Yojimbo, I would say, hmm, that's interesting. I my favorite my favorite scene. It's it's kind of a it's a it's a fairly not lengthy bit, but it's a fairly long bit. Uh, my favorite bit is where they kidnap the guy's wife. And they keep, which is this is super shitty. They kidnap his wife and they keep her in the house that's next door to the husband, <laughs> which is so fucked up. It's like you know, the first time I saw that, I was confused because it is next door. So I was like, "Yeah, doesn't he know? Like, is the on it or yeah? It's a bizarre uh, choice, um, but it's funny. Yeah, and I I love that uh, Sanjuro rolls around and basically decides, oh hey, you know, I'm gonna get this woman back and um. I love the fact that basically he charges what I'm going to call the bad guys. He charges the bad guys a certain amount of money for his, you know, for his uh, uh, dedication to them. And he gets like, uh, is it, he gets like, it's like 60, is it Rio they call them? Yeah, Rio, I think. Yeah, Rio. And you can buy some of that on eBay. Like, oh, really? Rio. Yeah. Interesting. I've been, I, I've been eyeing a couple. <laughs> They're basically just like thick pieces of bark, is what I'm oh, guessing is what it is. Okay. It's like wood. Oh, it's very weird. Yeah. Um. He gets it. He gets like sixty pieces. Then he goes to the house, and it's it's kind of like um, it's very like situational. Um, uh, not comedic, but it's very situational. So he basically tells the bad guy that's with him, which is I think the the mentally challenged person, <laughs> that all the all the uh, bodyguards or the guys keeping the the woman, you know, kidnapped the woman and keeping her uh, a prisoner have all been killed. They tell, she's, he tells him to run back to, you know, the main bad guy and tell them. And it's just this, it's just this huge, and he goes in and kills all the guys, sets fire to the place, then gives the husband, his wife back, gives them the Rio and then tells them to leave. That whole scene, it's so clever the way it's put together. And it's, it's all these little pieces that make this perfect picture. And to top it off, he does this, uh, Kurosawa does this amazing little thing where it's, it's this great thing where you get, you get a, uh, you get him being sly and clever and manipulative. Then you get him doing, uh, have an action beat where he goes in, he attacks all the bad guys, cuts them up, sets fire to the place. And then you get this like really warm part after that, where the husband, the wife and the child all bow down to him, like in thanks. And they're like on their knees, thanking him. And, I love the fact that he goes off on them. He's like, you fucking idiots, get the fuck out of here. What are you doing? And it's 
it's just he goes it's this brilliant like way of showing that he's so honorable but he's still a bit shitty at the end you know yeah he's, Even, he's a he's a douchebag yes exactly exactly he doesn't mince his words he doesn't like uh, he doesn't kowtow to kindness he's like get the hell out of here i've just saved you you're gonna fuck all this up like take the money and go and go and it's just that's my favorite part in the film i just love how it's put together i think it's very clever filmmaking i think you know it's shot at night i think it's a beautiful scene it looks great and um of course you know there's the action sequence and uh it's so simple and so like the action in this is fantastic it's just slice 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 it's great now how do you feel about sanjuro because will and i both lean heavily towards Sanjuro being better than Yojimbo. That's interesting. Um, I, on my second time watching Sanjuro, um, I liked it more. And I think, I think originally, originally I gave it like four stars and I did actually like it more second time around. Um, I love that Sanjuro has, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for. Um, where Yojimbo feels very like he's in a ghost town. It almost it feels very like bare bones. It, it's a you know an easy story story, and it's told excellently. But it's very it's like a very quiet, ponderous film. I think. But Sanjuro, it's got more meat on the on, on its bones, and I I think I like that a little bit more. I would still say I I prefer Yojimbo a little bit. But uh, a little bit more. But I think if I watch Sanjuro a few more times, maybe I would learn to or grow to prefer that one. I I love the ending for Sanjuro so much. That final stare down. Oh, it's where it's 40, 40 seconds, 45 seconds of just silence and then just this ear-piercing sound effect um, yeah. and then this massive blood spray, which I honestly think that 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 moment inspired so much anime and so many things going forward. Uh, that oh, yeah. one, that, that, that just, that end scene is just so freaking good. Uh, there's even someone who broke on YouTube that broke down that fight and it is possible to move as quick as Mif- as uh, as quick as Mifune does, uh, and slice like that. So That's interesting. I mean, the blood spray is not real, but the but the cut is possible. Um, Sanjuro was remade in two thousand and seven. Uh, directed really? by yeah Yoshimitsu Morita. I did not like it. Um, oh, okay, was not that good. Uh, really interesting that they chose to remake Sanjuro over the more popular Yojimbo. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think as a, as a double feature, I think these movies are just fantastic. And I'm actually oh, yeah. shocked at that, you know, that Kurosawa and Mifune never did more of these movies with these, with, with this character. Uh, yeah. It's, it's strange. It seems like a, an obvious, it, it seems like, if you watch Yojimbo and watch Sanjuro, immediately after watching Sanjuro, in your head, you think, oh, this could be a trilogy. This could go on and on and on. The character, he's never he's never exhausting and he's never exhausted. There's always more to him, it seems. So I'm surprised as well. Well, Mif- well this will get into our next talking point. Mifune, 
uh, did um, play this character uh, officially, officially in a handful of things after Sanjuro was released. So Sanjuro came out, what, 1962? Mm. Uh, and it wasn't until 1970 he did two movies in the same year where he plays Yojimbo. One of them being Zatoichi meets Yojimbo, yeah. uh, which is the, tw- uh, I think it's the 20th Zatoichi movie out of the 25 uh, in that cycle, which, fun fact, Zatoichi and James Bond started out in the same year. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, and there's still more Zatoichi movies than there are James Bond movies. <laughs> so, <laughs> just, still uh, to this day, there's still less to Bond this day. films. Uh, I think No Time to Die was 25, and there are 26 uh, Shintaro Katsu starring Zatoichi movies. They yeah, was very, yeah, they were turning them out uh, at least one a year. And then uh, Katsu also did 100 episodes of the Zatoichi television show. So, did Kurosawa, Kurosawa wrote Yojimbo, right? Did yeah, he, he wrote it? he he wrote Yojimbo and Sanjuro. So, did he not own the rights to the Sanjuro character? Well, Yojimbo just means bodyguard. Yes. Um, so, so in so in these other movies, oh, I guess Mifune He's not just goes Sanjuro. by. Yeah. So, uh, in, these mo- in these other movies, he just goes by Yojimbo. They're like, "Oh, what's up, Yojimbo?" But it's very much Mifune. <coughs> excuse me. Very much uh, Mifune channeling um, that character. Hang yeah. Something in my throat. Sure. <coughs> uh, but yeah, so Z- Zadoichi meets Yojimbo. Um, came out the same year as Incident and Blood Pass. And Incident and Blood Pass, I am flabbergasted, isn't as popular as it is uh, because it is exactly the same story as Hateful Eight. Like, exactly, oh, okay. ex- like to a T. Um, it's it's got uh, it's got Shintaro Katsu who I mean well technically both of both of these guys Katsu and Mifune both played in two movies starred in two movies where Mifune's playing Yojimbo in the same year I completely forgot about that uh, but Katsu plays the bad guy in Incident at Blood Pass and Mifune plays Yojimbo he's referred to as Yojimbo and uh, it's about again it's just him wandering through a little mountain village you know he's just he's just walking just wandering and yeah. he stumbles upon this inn where there are people with ulterior motives. Um, really shocked that this uh, didn't get talked about more whenever Hateful Eight came out because I had not heard of it. And then when I watched it a couple years ago for the very first time, I by just almost a copy and paste the entire plot is to Hateful Eight. Tarantino likes to do that. He likes to homage <laughs> by yeah, the yeah, ceiling. <laughs> yeah, he does. And... Uh, Incident Blood Pass, almost zero action in the entire movie. It's all dialogue driven. Okay. Um, and it's usually uh, during that time period, Japanese films, when they are purely dialogue heavy, I'm not usually too into it unless it's like a uh, Masaki Kobayashi film or something mm-hmm. like that or a, or a uh, Ozu film. But this is just so well written. I don't know who wrote the film. I actually don't even know who directed the film. Okay. Um, but it's just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And then uh, the third movie I want to talk about is Goyokin. Have you ever heard of Goyokin? The name rings a bell, but I, I couldn't tell you anything about it. So I guess I was wrong. Uh, Goyokin came out in 69, um, and it was originally supposed to be a Yojimbo, unofficial Yojimbo sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it was supposed to star Mifune. Uh, they wrote the script with that in mind, and then um, Mifune backed out because of uh, scheduling conflicts. Uh, so oh, okay. they went forward with it, uh, and, but this time it stars uh, Tatsuo Nakadai. And it's one of the – can you hear my kid in the background? I can. I can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she is uh, – she's hyper for, the, for like the last week. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, she wasn't feeling good. And then today she decides to just be super hyper. Um, but uh, yeah, actually, hang on one second. Let's 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 pause real quick, and I'll edit this out. I'm gonna sure. hang on one second. Sorry about that. No problem. I had to go uh, smack the uh, smack the two girls out there and tell them to <laughs> tell them to be quiet. Um, but this will probably be so. It was forty one minutes is when that happened. Yeah, about um, forty one. So, yeah. So I will try to edit that part. Out. <laughs> uh, if not, sorry everyone that that uh, happened. Um, my wife decided to start vacuuming even though I was like, hey, <laughs> doing a podcast. Um, and then uh, after Goyokin, uh, which was directed by Hideo Gosha, uh, one of, I think, one of tied for three, uh, as tied, tied, tied for first place with two other films, uh, Harakiri and Seven Samurai as the best samurai movies. Um, Mifune then did a TV show called Ronin in the Wastelands, mm-hmm. which again, almost... Um, monster of the week style storytelling just him wandering around and then he okay. did and then he did five made for tv movies called lowly ronin from 81 to 83 and then finally he did valley of the vagabonds which is the final appearance of the yojimbo character and oh so he did a lot i mean he did 26 episodes of a tv show um five made for tv movies two unofficial sequels and then his final movie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And uh, that last one, Valley of Vagabond isn't even on Letterboxd. Oh, it's one of those films. that just essentially no one knows about. No one knows about. Uh, luckily, Samurai DVD.com did uh, translate it and restored it. And it looks and sound. It looks beautiful. And the subtitles are great. That's amazing. Uh, it's a really good movie. It's actually really freaking good. But then again, most things Mifune it that, that he stars in, are just mm-hmm. phenomenal. Yeah, so, he he seems like a he definitely has a a certain um, just ability to capture a character. I mean, granted, I've only seen him play the same character twice, but he definitely seems like he's got uh, like he's got that like you know Robert De Niro back in like the Godfather days or Al Pacino back in the Godfather days. They had that certain kind of gravitas to them. He he seems to have that and just has this air of. Uh, being one of the one of the heavy hitters when it comes to acting. So, what year did uh, what year did Japanese films go color instead of black and white? Do you know? I think they were already. I think there are movies that were already in color. By so the it was time, a choice. I think it was a choice, uh, or maybe not a choice, but like a budget constraint. Ver- you know, 
reason. Oh, that's interesting because Sanjuro, of course, with the um, with the flowers going into like the river or the or the the water body of water at the end, it would certainly benefit from it being in color because you get to see the colors of the flowers or the blossoms. But it's interesting that the I mean, granted, if it was budget problems, fair enough. But if it was an actual choice, that's an interesting choice to go black and white. I think, well, Akira Kurosawa made most of his movies in black and white. Mm, okay, even later most on. Of, uh, I think the one that stands out that's not black and white is the, the well, two, the Kagimusha and Ron. Isn't um, Ron super colorful as well? It's Yeah, it's, it's, it's insanely colorful. It's gorgeous. It's one of the most beautiful looking films I've ever seen. I, I wanted to pick that up on 4K, but I heard the 4K was pretty bad. I mean, it's better than the DVD and yeah, the Blu-ray that we okay, have. Yeah. So it's the it's the best version of that movie. Okay, maybe I'll pick <laughs> um, it up. But yeah, well, Akira Kurosawa with that with with Ron uh, specifically, he had storyboarded every single second of that movie. He had oh. painted because he was also a, a he was also a pretty prolific painter. He painted every scene. So when he went to direct the movie, he had everything laid out. Uh, and there are some. There's a there's a website that does a side by side comparison of his painting in a in a in a uh, in like the scene in the film, and it looks one for one. Oh, that's crazy! So he just literally put his painting on the screen, or yeah. paintings on the screen. But uh, yeah, I, that's a good question. When can start doing black and white movies? Because have you heard of the should no be no mono films? Definitely heard of them. Uh, they're like these really good ninja films. There's uh, eight of them officially. Mm. And then the ninth one they made a couple years after. Uh, and I think the ninth one was made in the 60s still. I think it was in the 60s. And colored film was available and used, but they chose to go black and white to fit the rest of the series. Okay. I think that makes sense. Sometimes, you know, just directors go for that and just just choose black and white and don't get me wrong i think black and white is a stunning medium i think it some films just look amazing in black and white but you know sometimes there's just the sense of if they'd used color would it be a different film um you know the the blood spray at the end of sanjuro I, I, it's very very unlikely that that was actually red but if it was in color and it was red that would look fantastic that's a good question i wonder if that was red I wonder if they actually used. Yeah, I wonder what they blood. used for the blood. God, that's such a cool scene. But that sound is also horrifying. Yeah, uh, that that whole sequence. I you know years and years ago, I, I all I saw was gifts of that scene, plenty of gifts, and I never knew what it was from. And I always thought, you know, I'd, I'd like to see that movie. And uh, seeing it with the sound and just the tension. The I think Kurosawa does escalation very very well like his films build and build and build and i i think he does it incredibly well and that that final scene is just just awesome just a fantastic scene and uh i'm not saying necessarily it would be it'd be better in color but it'd definitely be interesting to see i did read that um apparently kurosawa was looking for the uh or listening for the ideal sound of a sword chopping through a human and they kept delivering him all these sounds, and it just didn't work. He didn't care for it. And the final sound they used, not in Sanjuro, but in Yojimbo, they stuck a bunch of chopsticks in um, in a cooked chicken, 
and then cut through the chicken. So they cut through the flesh, <laughs> and then the, the chopsticks sounded like bone, and that's the sound that he picked and the sound that he used. That's, that was interesting. That's so fucking wild. <laughs> yeah. Such a wild thing. He was, um, Kurosawa was interesting. Apparently at the start of Yojimbo, he was looking for the ultimate opening scene when he walks into the town and no, no writers or, or people could suggest it. And so he came up with the dog carrying the hand in his mouth. That's, see, now that is brilliant. And stuff like that we take for granted nowadays because obviously so many things are influenced by what yeah. comes before it. Yeah. But to be the first one to do something like that, you've got to be, a, I, I, I mean, a genius. Oh, absolutely. And that is, like, if you think about it, that's pretty, pretty heavily gory. Like that's a, that's a shocking image um, for, I mean, I don't know. Obviously I, I, I haven't watched many gory films from back in those days, but I can't even think of one that was that graphic. Um, a, a severed hand in a dog's mouth. That's, I can imagine people being shocked by that. The first thing that came to mind was Lone Wolf and Co., but that's still a decade later. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I'm trying to think of movies around that time period that are that violent or that gory. Yeah. And I really can't think of anything. But you said that you like uh, Kurosawa's uh, 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 ability to have just escalating tension. Yes. Ron is basically that for the entire movie oh nice i'd probably like it's, it then starts off very simple it's actually ron starts off very slow um mm. it's very dialogue heavy the camera doesn't move a lot it just fix, stays on one you know like one thing for like minutes on end and um but it just escalates and escalates and escalates until the until the final and it's just or the finale sorry and it's just yeah mind-blowingly good uh we'll cover ron eventually yeah um it's really yeah it's one of my favorites but i say that about a lot of these movies uh i think i should purposely pick a movie that's terrible so we can be like <laughs> yeah that sucked ass yeah that's the that's the hard part isn't it i i, I find that with the with the foo for thought podcast i think sometimes my wife and my friend you know they hate the film and sometimes when they hate the film i secretly think inside that i want to hate the film just so i can agree with them but you know too many times i actually end up loving it but do you ever pick movies that you hate that you've seen um I I I mean, like I picked Mortal Kombat, uh, both Mortal Kombat's, the original and the new one to do, and I don't like either of those films. You don't like the original? No, I don't like the original Mortal Kombat. Oh, no, man, no, it doesn't hold up. Um, it is better than the new one, though. Uh, and I I picked dude, the new, the new one was one. so disappointing. Oh, it's it's fucking awful. You have it's fucking an, Hiroki joke. Sonata and Joe Taslim, and you yeah. you made that. I don't That's know who. Thing. I don't know who the name of the fight choreographer was. I can't even remember, but whoever did it just doesn't know how to edit or film fight scenes. It's, it's no. awful. I, no. mean, I, I mean, hope and, they do better with the sequel. And going in, the the guy who was directing it was like, I want to make the best filmed fight scenes ever. <laughs> and I was like, oh shit, okay. I was like, all right, cool. And then they put out that, was it the first 15 minutes where it's Scorpion or Sub, yeah. like, where Sub-Zero, I was like, oh shit, is this what they're doing? I'm like, all right, this sounds, this looks awesome. And yep. then, you get the movie and it's utter dog shit. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. It feels like someone shot that first uh, scene and then someone else came in and filmed the rest of the film. It it makes no sense whatsoever. And it's it's amazing that you know it, what a year later 
uh, Shang-Chi gets a release and people realize that you can do great fight scenes and make them look fantastic and just, yeah, I don't know. Mortal Kombat was an absolute How do you best. like, uh, how did you like Shang-Chi? Do you know what? I, I hate to say it because it sounds so cliche. I fucking loved it. I just, I, I, does it have its flaws? Yes. I mean, is it? Every is Marvel movie too, does. Exactly. And is there too much, too much CGI? Yes, there's too much CGI, but I, I loved it. I, I watch it. I think I've seen it like three times now and each time I've, I've absolutely loved it. And I love what they're doing with, um, I think this is the smartest thing that action filmmakers are doing that they are using cgi to replace stunt doubles faces with the actors um because so many times like if you look at um, a show like into the badlands so I'm, I'm gonna go on a tirade here but if you watch into the badlands so often they're doing these overhead shots or shadow shots like in shadow to hide the actor and and you know hide the stunt double i should say and they do that in a whole bunch of films as well just to hide the, uh, the stunt double but in shang chi they they had the stunt double in broad daylight shooting the film and then they just took Tony Lung's face and stuck it on the stunt double. And it's genius. It, it works for me. I absolutely love it. And uh, I I think Shang-Chi's going to change the game and hopefully we're going to see more and more fantastic films. I just wish it was standalone and not part of the MCU. I can see that. I, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and I don't know what they're going to do with him going forward. I mean, he doesn't fit in really fit in the Marvel world. Um, no, he doesn't. Uh, I mean, yeah. it's, it's the first... It was the uh, wait. Did Black Widow come before Shang Chi? No. Oh, yeah. You might be right there. You might be right. Because I liked Black Widow and I like Shang Chi. I like Black Widow too, and so many people don't, but I do. It's just a fucking. It's just an action spy movie. I I don't understand. Yeah. That's the thing is that the things that I liked, like the movies I like the most that are standalone in, in the MCU, don't really incorporate too much of the overarching gotcha. MCU. Yeah, I like the MCU, and tonight actually, uh, Ryan and I and Jeremy are doing a tier list video on a world ranking all the MCU. <laughs> um, but I like you know Phase One, Phase Two, whatever. But I did not like Black Panther. I did not like Captain Marvel. Okay. Uh, yeah. But I did enjoy Black Widow and Shang Chi. So hopefully, they continue to to like do. Is there a Shang Chi two in production? Um, they have announced that it's going to be made, but they have not, like, you know how Marvel put out these, like, small, like, posters or release date little banners yeah. and stuff like that? They haven't put that out yet, but apparently it's going to be made. I know that, uh, what is his name? Daniel Creston, the director, I believe he signed on to direct it. Oh, okay, good, because he's actually got an eye. for. Oh, yeah, guys. absolutely. So. The only problem is with the sequel, unfortunately, they lose Brad Allen. Yeah, that yeah, that does suck. Yeah, rest in was, peace to Brad. Absolutely, and he was a How old was he? piece of the action. Oh, young Wolf, maybe, maybe forty-ish. That's wild. Maybe. Yeah, he was super young and just yeah, unbelievably talented. And I think it's it's so sad. Oh, he's forty-eight. Oh, he was a lot older than I thought. But he yeah. looked young. Yeah, he did. He did. Do we? Even I thought. Know how I thought he was thirties. Do we know how he died? I mean, this is a sad subject, and we probably don't I'm want to talk about that much. Sure. But I don't. I'm on his Wikipedia now, and I don't think they announced how he died. I believe it was an illness, but I just I heard yeah. illness. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Oh, do you want to hear something funny? Yeah, go. On. The just the change the subject and have yeah, that. Yeah. What I thought.
funny about Shang Chi was after it came out, all these people were like, "This Tony Lung guy is great. Who is this guy?" <laughs> it's like you have no idea. Yes, you have no a idea. lot of films to watch. Yeah, it's uh, it's like now though, it, it's the same thing with um. I haven't seen the film yet, but everything, everywhere, all at once. Everyone's yeah. like, this Michelle Yeoh woman, she's pretty cool. It's like, she's been cool since the fucking 80s. Yeah, she's been cool. Like, yeah. what the fuck, where have you been? Yeah, um, it's, it's crazy. I want to see that movie so bad. Me too, and I'm just, I'm not going to get to the theater in time to watch it. So, apparently it hits Blu-ray next month, so I'm just going to pick it up. I almost um, went and saw Northman last night. Oh, uh, yeah. Decided against it. And Why is that? Now, I reg- now I regret. Oh, because the the wife and I celebrated uh, five years on Sunday, but I had to work. Oh, okay. Makes so sense. she was like, "Are you really going to see a movie?" And I was like, mm. "Yeah, yeah." No, I can't. I'm sorry, but I think I think the rules should be if you go and see the Northman. I think this anyone out there that's listening, this is the rule for Northman. If you're a man and you go and see the Northman, you have to watch it without your shirt on. You have to be bare-chested and maybe have <laughs> some, some kind of blood on your face. <laughs> Just in that it looks I, like a pretty primal film, you know? What I heard is that, because uh, the marketing makes it seem like it's a dude bro film. Yes. And from what I've read is that it's very artsy and not dudish at all. Uh, I, I heard there's a lot of, yeah, like uh, a lot of like Norse um uh, lore that goes into it that could be quite confusing i can't wait yeah i can't either. wait for, wh- does that have a blu-ray release it doesn't yeah i don't think the northern had a, has a release date so uh it's not doing very well in theaters so i imagine they'll push it to blu-ray soon hopefully i hope i mean i oh i i i finally saw batman oh did you what did you think of that uh i loved it yeah yeah loved it it was uh uh it was absolutely woke garbage like ben shapiro said um, I loved it. Uh, I really liked the uh, Zoe Saldina. No, not Zoe Saldina. Um, Zoe Kravitz. Yes. Um, I don't normally like her in movies, but she was fucking great as Catwoman. She's she's great in it. I I think everyone's great in it. I, I, it's just it's a fantastic cast. And I I watched it again. We did a bonus episode for our Patreon. Um, not that I'm plugging my Patreon, but I'm just saying we did it. Plug it. it. (laughs) Yeah, patreon.com forward slash food for thoughts if you want to hear me talk about uh, the Batman with my best friend and wife. And yeah, I watched it a second time around and I loved it just as much. It's my favorite film of the year so far. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Damn. Um, Uh, It'll be difficult to find something that beats it, I think. I don't think I've seen anything. Uh, I, I think I liked Ambulance more. I don't blame you because ambulance is ambulance is one of the best theater experiences I've had in a while. I just yeah. had my mouth wide open. I was laughing. I was just loving it. It was, dude. It played in the all the tropes of Michael Bay, where he's like, "Tell my wife I'm sorry," and she's like, "Tell him yourself." Oh, absolutely. I, I can't laughing. believe people are criticizing it. They're like, "It's so cheesy," and it's and the camera work is so kinetic and all over the place. Yeah, it's meant not kinetic frenetic or chaotic it's meant to be it's a bay film that's the point it's meant to be like that michael bay or akira kurosawa uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> to tie it back into the, our topic very similar um yeah that's interesting i right now i've seen more bay films um <laughs> but i i can imagine kurosawa is the better director but uh would i say the rock is better than seven samurai maybe 
No, you <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> that is black. No, no, no. The Rock is poetic cinema. I mean, both of them are technically Criterion directors. That's true. That's very true. They are both high art. Yes, absolutely. Wow, that's Honestly, a weird one. Why did Criterion pick up that? That's weird. It was Armageddon, right? Was it Armageddon? It was Armageddon. Did they not put out The Rock as well? Maybe they did put out The Rock, but that means that Aerosmith is in the Criterion collection. That's true. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> Criterion put out The Rock as well. Did they really? Yeah. I just Oh, my lord, dude. Fuck. Criterion made some unusual choices, but that's a great choice. Uh, I mean, that's better than half the shit they put out now, like Man Absolutely. Push Cart. I would much rather <laughs> Armageddon. Yeah. Um, but we do have one question this week. Awesome. Jake says, what do you think is Kurosawa's most underrated work? That's on you. That's that's all you, baby. Oh, I would say probably Redbeard. Redbeard doesn't get talked uh, as much as it should. Uh, is that compared... a pirate movie? No, it's a technically a samurai movie. It's a Jidaiki. So okay. It's a time period movie. Um, I don't think it had the impact as, let's say, you know, Jimbo, Seven Samurai, or Ron, but I definitely think Redbeard is probably his most underrated work. Um, mm. It's stuck on DVD from Criterion. Oh, really? So, yeah, uh, they put out a box set. Have you seen that box set? Of Kurosawa? Yeah. No. Box set in the DVD days. It's 25 films. It's Jesus. like It's out of print now, and it goes for like 700 to 1000 of course it does course it's it does. so stupid it makes me so mad that i missed out on that um akira crystal has got some earlier works too um that are like from the f- 40s and 50s that are just like really like just strangely good and i say strangely because usually movies from that time period i don't like yeah um i well most of the movies i've seen from that time period are american films and they had that code in yeah. place and I can't like I can't stand noir films of that era. Got you. Um, but yeah, yeah I've just uh, I've just pulled up the Kurosawa collection on eBay, and uh, I think I've found an absolute steal. It's one thousand one hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> I'll, I'll be bidding for that immediately. <laughs> Wait, is it is that the bid? Uh, no, that's just the the price that it is at the moment. Uh, that's like the buy it now price. I saw one. Maybe a year ago for seven hundred, and I was like, "Man, should I do it?" And I was yeah, like, eh, that's, "No, that's crazy." I have a question for the podcast. Okay. I have a question for you for the podcast. And I was thinking about this when watching Yojimbo and Sanjuro. Question is, what genre are these two films? So this is a this is a good question because there are this is tough because. There are, it falls in the two categories, in my opinion. There's Jidaiaki, yeah. you know, time period films that are set in the same time period as these, as these two films. Um, I think a good example of a Jidaiaki would be like Sancho the Bailiff is a really good uh, Jidaiaki, but they're also sword plays. So yeah. for me, they fall into Chambara, but then there are some people that only classify like, the bloody violent movies as Chambara right, films. Right. And I don't think that's necessarily right. I think these are Chambara. Like these are a hundred percent Chambara films. 
Okay, yeah, I was wondering because after seeing them, I'm like, well, they're not they're not flat out swordplay films because there's a lot to them, and yeah, I didn't quite know, so I was I was wondering what they were classified as. That's that's a good question because that's a very I think these movies, um, these like this this country which is Jap which is Jap which is Japan, their film industry. I think it's the only thing I can think of where you have two movies in two separate genres and people are kind of picky about it. Yes. Like, cause there are Westerns with those considered Westerns, but there's no term for Westerns yeah. that specifically have cowboys in them and gunfights. Um, yeah. I think Japanese cinema in general, not just like, uh, like samurai flicks, uh, or like older flicks, even newer stuff. Some of, uh, Takashi Miki's, Miki's film, you'd be like, what fucking genre is this? This is just weird. Like, I, I First Love? What genre oh, is First Love? love? <laughs> I would say that's a Yakuza film. You would just say it's Yakuza? Oh, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of romantic, though. It's kind of a romance movie as well. It's it's an interesting film. That's a fun yeah, movie I to watch. It. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, did you watch it with the wife? Uh, I didn't, actually. I watched that one by myself. I so I watched it by myself and then I showed Taylor and she surprisingly loved it. And I, yeah, I think it's the romance. Yeah, it's always nice when you get to sit down with someone you know that you know uh, or, or someone that you love even and sit down like you put on a film and you're just like yeah, I'm not quite sure about this one whether they'll like it or not and at the end they're like oh yeah that was great something special about that moment. I'm I still need to get her to watch Seven Samurai but it's kind of a hard sell. Trying yeah. to have have her watch Visitor Q. Uh, I think she would leave me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did get her to watch Audition. But oh, okay. Her, I okay. told her. I told her it was a rom com. Uh, kind of starts off as a rom com. It's this nerdy, goofy guy. He has auditions for his girlfriend. It's kind of funny at the beginning. Yeah. And then the twist happens, and <laughs> it's fucking awesome. It definitely goes in the crazy direction. I've stumbled across a Blu-ray that I'm thinking on buying, but I'm wondering if it might be like a softcore porno. Do you know anything about Kanoichi Lady Ninja? I just, I just got that one. <laughs> really? <laughs> do, have you, do you know anything about? Have you seen no, it? No, I haven't seen okay. it. <laughs> okay, that's fair. I, we I should, wondered. What we should it was briefly about. cover that next week, uh, next episode. Yeah, I'm thinking on picking it up from. Uh, it's on orbit now. Yeah, that's where I got it. I was like, uh, I've, I I haven't heard of this. The is cover that, is good. Is that the film with the uh, vagina bubbles? Do you remember I that gif from years ago when the girl spreads her legs and kills a bunch of ninjas with vagina bubbles? <laughs> So, so when I looked that movie up on Letterboxd, there are a bunch of movies uh, with that title. Um, oh, okay. So I, but this one, the reviews I could find on the one that we're talking about, it does say, "Holy shit!" is the ultimate exploitation film. Blood everywhere, sex everywhere. Oh, I'm getting it. Then. So. I, I think we should. I up. think. I think. I think we should cover that. <laughs> All right, we can definitely do that. I'll. I'm definitely going to order it because. Uh, um, yeah, it doesn't even say what year it came out. No, it, it doesn't. Uh, maybe. Media Blasters is weird. Um, I I like them a lot. They they were uh, they ran the Tokyo Shock line back in yes. DVD. Great um, line. 
Well, amazing line. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they they put all brothers, the samurai movies, like yeah. It was a you know they put out. I think they put out Itchy the Killer maybe. Um, but such a good line. But now they kind of rebooted themselves and they don't put a lot of effort into their discs. Um, oh, so that sucks. But did I did it? I did pick that up. Um, okay, well, I, I think I'll be picking that up as well. But it was just a, just a random movie that I was just like, oh, I, I wonder if I'll ask Flip about this. And then now I know that you've got it. I think uh, I think I'm safe to pick it up. <laughs> I can't. Well, that's one I'm not going to be watching with Taylor. No, sure. no, I, I don't recommend. How, how does uh, how does your wife feel about certain like sexual stuff in movies? Because Taylor noticed almost every Chambara film like past seventy two. Yeah. A woman gets raped. And, yeah, and she's like, uh, and she's like, "Do you have a rape fantasy?" I'm like, "No, this is just a trope to show you that the good guy is noble." And it's, but it is very uncomfortable after a while. Yeah, um, my wife doesn't do too well with rape scenes either, or sexual violence. She's she's kind of not a fan of that stuff at yeah, all. Yeah, and... I mean, well, what woman is? Very, very, very right. Yes. And she simply will not watch a cat-free film with me. She won't do it. Yeah, Taylor Taylor doesn't do well with hyper-violence in general. Okay. But sexual violence, it's no-no. Yeah. I really want to do Sex and Zen for the podcast, uh, for (laughs) Food for Thought, but uh, she won't watch it, unfortunately. I watched Sex and Zen recently. Do you know what? That's a good film. I don't get what anyone says. It may be like a softcore porno. It's a damn good film. It's fun. Fun as hell. How, how do you feel about like stuff like your erotic ghost story? Erotic ghost story? I really did not like. I, I appreciated like it either, what it was. It was boring. That's its problem. Super boring. Kung Fu yeah. Bob's artwork is the most exciting thing about that release. Absolutely. I think it's. Uh, I think many many moons from now, it'll. I'll probably end up putting that on ebay or selling it sometime but i didn't enjoy that one uh robo tricks i did like i thought that was that was fun and uh ebola syndrome which is grant uh, granted a completely different film ebola syndrome may be the fel- oh, my favorite film of last year i love that film. oh wow i loved it <laughs> i absolutely loved it yeah i, I mean uh, that tells you a lot about me but yeah back uh back in the early days of covid and pre-covid uh, mm-hmm. I had some friends working at the restaurant and I would show them movies that were super fucked up. And, you know, we watched Itchy the Killer. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. And after a bullet syndrome came out, they had moved on to other jobs. And I was like, man, I really wish they were here because this would be the movie. Oh, yeah. Friends at the restaurant while we and the thing was, I, I would I would always make pizza. So we would be eating while we watched these movies. <laughs> And Ebola Syndrome would be the perfect fucking movie for that. Yeah, it's a it's a very special movie. Uh, Ebola Syndrome. It's, special is a special is a good term. Yes, it's it's definitely not for everyone, but uh, for some odd reason, with me, it just again it just hit all the right spots. Uh, I love that film. I'm I'm actually annoyed I didn't get the 4K and I got the standard Blu-ray. Wait, there's a standard Blu-ray for that? Yeah, yeah. I got the Blu-ray. I didn't get it in 4K. You should have got the 4K, man. You can see all that beautiful imagery. I know, I know. Who, who, you know, who doesn't want to see 4K rape? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Good times. Um, have you seen Meatball Machine? 
Meatball machine? Oh my no, god. No, I don't think so. You haven't seen Meatball I'm, I'm about to Google it, though. Oh my god. Have you seen Tokyo Gore Police? Yes, many years ago, and I actually want to buy it again, because I love that film. I love that movie, dude. Uh, the same team, like the same group of people made Meatball Machine, and then uh, there's okay. a sequel uh, to Meatball Machine, but I remember I put Meatball Machine on at work in the middle of the rush, and... Uh, just while we're working, the employees would stop and be like, "What the actual fuck is on TV?" Yeah, it's uh, those those like wave of Japanese films, like a Machine Girl and things like that. They are crazy. What is the director's name of Tokyo War Police? Uh, I can never remember. His I'm name. friends with him on Facebook, and <laughs> really, yeah, and he seems so he's so nice looking. He's like just like a happy go lucky guy, just. Just hanging out, <laughs> just doing yeah. Cool shit. I mean, he has a wild imagination. He's Yoshihiro Nishimura. Yeah, dude, he's yeah. so awesome. He's so cool. Yeah, I need to pick up Tokyo Gold Police. I need to just sit down and watch like a whole bunch of those films back to back. If we're still doing this podcast in October, we should have an entire month where we just cover. Oh, that'd be a good time. That'd be a just good time. These we... horrific movies. Yeah, find uh, some interesting there's, there's swords in them. There are. On Tokyo Gore Police, the woman on the front of the Blu-ray is holding a sword. So, And there's a girl with swords for legs and arms. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'll tell you what. Actually, last week I just bought Versus, uh, the ultimate edition Dude, of Versus. such a good movie. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to re-watching that. Or, I, I, though I hear the ultimate version isn't that good. I hear the no, standard version is no. better. Whoever told you that is a retard. The oh, ultimate- Really? Yeah, who who the fuck told you that? I think I read a few reviews online that were just saying no. that the original's better. No, the ultimate is so good. Okay, I'll watch it's that. It's so fucking good. That movie I used to, I had, I think Tokyo Shock put that out actually. Mm. Um, I had it, I I had the DVD, and uh, I saw it for the first time in Blockbuster. Uh, Sunday nights, my parents and I would drive to the town over. We would get Jimmy John's. Have you had Jimmy John's? I have had Jimmy John's. Um. We would get Jimmy John's, which is all right. You know, it's kind of overrated now. Ah, and then and then we would go and get something from Ball. My mom would always let me pick one thing out for me. And uh, I saw the cover and I was like, black and red with a dude with a gun and a sword. I was like, fuck, this movie looks yeah. awesome. And I remember watching it and just jaw dropped. Just like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. And it's, it it's still is. It's still yeah. Look, it's I'm, fucking I'm so great. looking forward to rewatching it. I I haven't watched it since I owned a bootleg DVD of it back, not even Blu-ray DVD way back in the day. I somehow stumbled across a bootleg of it and I uh, I picked it up and I, that's the last time I saw it. I think I must have been Jesus. I must have been eighteen. And you're like a hundred years old now, so that's I'm creeping up on the hundred. I'm forty next month. Ugh. That how do you feel being forty? Because thirty fucked me up. It's it's interesting. I I really I I'm not a guy that typically like uh like worries about getting old or worries about birthdays. But forty is really like one that's looming over me. Forty, I actually feel like I actually feel it now. I'm just like, oh my god, I am getting on in years. Yeah. So yeah, forty is an interesting one. I still feel like young, and I'm still acting like a fucking fifteen year old, but. I, 40 is definitely a daunting age. 30, 30 until I hit 30, and then I was like, well, fuck. Yeah. Because yeah. 20, 20s are supposed to be the time of your life. Yeah, apparently. And I didn't have the time of my life. 
<laughs> no, my twenties were a nightmare. I I didn't have very good twenties at all. So so our birthdays rough because you have. I mean, the only people you have here is your wife. Yes, like all your family's overseas. Uh, does that suck? Um. Yeah, yeah, it, it kind of does. Every every birthday, I kind of like in the back of my head, I'm reminded that I don't have people here or many people here. Um, so it, it kind of stands out in my brain that oh, I should be celebrating with a whole bunch of people, but I'm not. And you know, I push through it, and it's it ends up being okay. You know, my my wife takes me out to dinner or whatever it may be. Cyrus might come over and hang out or whatever it may be. But uh, yeah, it's I I have troubles around uh, Christmas and birthdays, and also I'm sure many people don't know this, but I'm gonna say it on the podcast anyway. I'm actually a recovering alcoholic, and uh, on birthdays I like have this thing in my head where I'm just like I should be drinking. I should be drinking a shit. How many years? Have- uh five years five years sober this year congratulations thank dude. you that's thank a fucking you. that's a huge i mean alcohol addiction is fucking severe uh oh yeah oh yeah um i mean i'm addicted to caffeine which is nowhere near as bad mm-hmm. as alcohol but the withdrawals from caffeine alone i wanted to relapse instantly so the fact that you fucking plowed through five years is incredible yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy I did that. And just a just a kind of uh, co-sign on your addiction. Once I got off the booze, I actually got addicted to caffeine. I used it as a substitute for booze. So I know exactly what you've gone through. It's yeah, it's a pretty crazy ride. See, this is why I don't because I have a very addictive personality. Mm-hmm, me too. And it's why I never really got into drinking and alcohol because I knew the moment I did, I would be fucked and thankfully both of my very limited experiences with both marijuana and alcohol have been horrific that they've scared me from doing it again so uh my first uh run-in with marijuana was uh, we were at a music festival and i was 400 pounds and someone goes do you want some brownies and i was like yeah i love brownies because i thought my my fat (laughs) ass was going brownies so i had two brownies and they were like yo big guy Oh, they're like it's marijuana and i was like oh no um we got on a ferris wheel i felt fine for about an hour i was like yeah great then we got on a ferris wheel it's one of those big ones where you can fit like 10 people on yes and we're and they're loading people up and we get to the top and i hate heights uh uh anxiety attack kicked in i started panicking i took off all my clothes but my underwear tied it around my head because i thought if we fell If I protect my head, I I would survive. So it was a four hundred pound guy panicking, naked. Uh, yeah, was not a good time. No, no. I've yeah, I've had some rough times on on. I've, I yeah, I've only done weed in regards to drugs, but I've had some rough times on that as well. But uh, yeah, booze isn't good. If you if you go down a slippery slope and end up in a bad place with booze, it's uh, you can lose a lot. And I almost did, but thankfully I bounced back. If you don't mind me asking, it's probably too personal. But what made you quit? Um. Long story short, I was very, very close to losing everything, meaning I probably would have lost my job and I probably would have lost my wife. Um, just I was I was on a, a quick downward slope. Um, I was I got to the point where, you know, usually it was a case of I would go out at night and I would 
like on a Friday, Saturday, I would just drink until I was blackout drunk. That's basically what it was. But then I started drinking in the day, drinking before work and drinking after work and hiding booze in my house from my wife and things like that. So uh, basically I got, I was getting blackout all the time and my wife was getting very upset. She had some very, very rough times with me. And I just decided, I also, I mean, this is a very, very dark moment. But I also tried to kill myself when I was drunk one night. Um, oh, and yeah, that was, that was definitely turned my life around a little bit. So a bit dark, uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah here, Jimbo, I, huh? here I am today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've got no addictions other than choking myself while I jerk off. <laughs> <laughs> You know, dude, uh, I mean, it's, I mean, I sent my wife a thing the other day and it was like, you can have all the money in the world, but if you don't have a woman that, you know, helps you and makes you happy, you're not truly happy. And shout out to your wife, man, for sticking with you and pulling you out of that. Yeah. I don't often use the phrase I'm blessed, but Jesus Christ, uh, having her by my side as it's been the greatest greatest thing in my life i mean she literally probably saved me from a lot of stuff i dread to think where i'd be why i wouldn't be here probably and plus she puts up with your taste in movies she does play with my taste in movies she does yeah she will sit down and watch dirty ho with me if i ask her so what is her favorite movie of all time um she loves two movies to spring to mind is she loves tremors Really? Oh yeah, she loves Tremors, absolutely, (laughs) and she loves the original Batman, the first uh, Michael Keaton. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Taylor's favorite movie used to be Breakfast at Tiffany's. Okay. And I was like, Taylor, this is extremely racist. This movie, (laughs) and she was like, I never really thought. I know I didn't really think of it because my wife's young; she's twenty-five. Okay. Yeah. Um. So when we got married, she was twenty, and uh. She hadn't seen a lot of stuff. She grew up in a very small town. And uh, I was probably the most exotic person she'd ever seen. Because I, <laughs> she was like, wow, this guy's not fucking pure white wearing camo yeah. and killing deer. Man, I'm going to marry this guy. <laughs> um, so whenever I watch something with her, she's just like that. I, I, I will never forget. There was a there was a month time where every movie we watched at the end of it, she was like, that's the greatest movie I've ever seen. Oh, and yeah, that's great. We, one of them was Bumblebee. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's She's like, great. this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. That's I was so like, innocent, though. Really? There's something super innocent about that. I like that. It's super cute. She was, and she was being serious. Like she was watching yeah. it. Her, and she was like, just this little twinkle in her eye. She was like, that was the greatest movie I've ever seen. John Cena is the finest actor of our generation. <laughs> I wait, Cena's in that. I forgot. Yeah, Cena's in it. He's the like bad guy, like the military guy. Oh, that's right. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. God, dude. Now I, but the bad thing about having a kid mm-hmm. is when they're young, you can put whatever the fuck on. Yes. But now that she's old enough to like, she's now now what I I, I like to call it now 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 that she's sentient, yes. uh, she I can't I can't watch what I want to watch. Yeah, they pick things up, right? So you can't put in Shogun Assassin and just hope that it'll just filter through their brain and go out the other side. Yeah. Well, I mean, now so I used to watch a lot of like kung fu stuff in mm-hmm. front of her and she would always go what are they saying and i say well they're speaking chinese yeah and then one day she goes dad i can speak chinese and oh, she's like ching shang ching and i was like okay first yeah. off that's hilarious but two <laughs> you can't yeah. you can't do that yeah. in public because 
knowing my luck, she would see an Asian person and be like, hey. of course, <laughs> of course. Yeah. yeah. You speak Chinese and then do it to her. And the lady would look at me and be like, you racist POS. And it's like, no, it's because I watch a lot of Kung Fu movies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, from the mouths of babes, as they say. Yeah. Well, do you want to go and wrap it up? Yeah, absolutely. This, uh, so next episode, we're going to be watching a movie called Goyokin, Goyokin. directed by Hido, uh, Hideo Gosha. I believe there is a full version on YouTube. Uh, it's popular enough to where if it's on YouTube, you can find a copy online pretty easily. Um, right. Or a, it's streaming somewhere. It's, in my opinion, tied, like I said earlier, tied at number one spot with two other films, Seven Samurai and Harakiri, as the greatest samurai movie of all time. Uh, directed by a, a director that I would put on par, if not slightly better than Akira Kurosawa. Nice. Okay, I will so, try and hunt down a car. I'm looking at YouTube now. I can't see one initially, but I'll hunt it down somehow. So uh, Kurosawa made my favorite movie of all time, but if I like put both of their outputs side by side, um, I would say I think I might lean Hideo Gosha, which... A lot of people would say blasphemous, but oh well. I'm definitely interested in seeing it. It's uh, yeah, I'm excited to to delve more into the genre and, and find more of these films that I uh, I haven't seen before. So I will I will hunt. Oh, I've just found it. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> Did you find it on YouTube? No, I found it elsewhere. <laughs> and uh, do you want to go and plug uh, Food for Thought and all that stuff? Yeah, absolutely. If anyone wants to hear me chat about Kung Fu films, or I should say martial arts films, not always Kung Fu, uh, then please feel free to listen to the Foo for Thought podcast. Uh, that's Foo, spell F-U. Um, you can also find me on Instagram, Foo underscore four underscore thought, where I post like Kung Fu clips, stuff like that. And I'm on Twitter at Foo, uh, let me see, Foo for Thought pod on twitter and i have a patreon and all that good stuff and yeah if you like what you hear yeah message me join the patreon just yeah whatever and uh i'm at flip otaku on youtube and twitter and i'm i used to be active on youtube i should probably do that more um <laughs> and uh this is talking swords which i should start posting more uh I'm gonna it takes start... a while. It takes a while to get into the swing of posting. It does take because I don't understand. You have like a hundred thousand followers. Yeah, and it's wild. Yeah. Um, and you're constantly posting clips of shit I've never even heard of. <laughs> um, so I definitely need some tips. But yeah, guys, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Later. Bye bye.